Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled, We Believe in Ministerial Authority. Today on Words of Grace, we come to our final message in our series on the Standard Statement of Faith, or Abstract of Principles, that we commonly call the Articles of Faith. The Statement of Faith of Historic Baptist in the United States, but also of Primitive Baptist today. Just as a reminder, we're using a couple of common strands of the Statement of Faith, the Articles of Faith, of my area, that of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, which dates to 1808, and also those of Ebenezer Primitive Baptist Church, where I was raised, which church dates to 1868. And most of the historic Baptist Articles of Faith that I have ever read in my years of ministry, have been in general agreement, though they might have a slight variation in wording here or there. Again, this is our final message in this series, and will have to do with what we will refer to as ministerial authority. This may seem like a strange point of view to include in a document as important as the Articles of Faith, but it's actually very fitting to include it. If you read the Old Testament, the prophets were kind of a big deal. If you read the New Testament, it's very clear that there were certain men of authority in the church, that these men were selected in a certain way, they were gifted in a very particular way, they were officially ordained in a particular way, and then they went on to serve congregations or to travel around and to preach the gospel. Whether you're talking about an apostle, an evangelist, or a pastor-slash-teacher in the New Testament, it's very clear and very specific regarding these particular offices and these roles. This article of faith that we consider today speaks to that issue with what I consider to be great biblical orthodoxy. So this is Article 12 from our Statement of Faith here at Flint River. We believe that no minister has a right to administration of the ordinances, only such as are regularly baptized, called, and come under the imposition of the hands by a presbytery. And then from Ebenezer, the other statement of faith we've been contrasting, Article 9, we believe that no minister has the right to administer the ordinances, only such as are called of God, as was Aaron— and come under the imposition of hands by a presbytery, and are in fellowship with the church which he is a member. How these two articles are the same is that they both express that a person, in order to administer the ordinances, and again, referring back to a previous radio broadcast, the ordinances are the Lord's Supper and baptism. The Lord's Supper as we emphasize, is to take place in the context of a local church body with those who are under her disciplinary care and accountability and fellowship. They are to break bread, unleavened bread, and they are to drink of the cup, drink of wine. The administrator of that ordinance, according to this article of faith, is the gospel preacher. Now, that being the case, it eliminates that ordinance being done at home, 
it eliminates that ordinance being observed without the presence of ordained ministry, and that is the historic Baptist perspective. There's certain authority that comes with being a gospel minister. They are the administrators of the ordinances. So think about that word administrator for just a moment. Ministers are to administer the ordinances. The other ordinance that we emphasized in our message on the ordinances in this series is baptism. And both of these show the Lord's death in a different way. The bread and the wine represent his body and his blood. But baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We bury someone in the watery grave of baptism, and then we pull them out again, representative of the Lord's resurrection and the fact that this person has professed their faith in Christ, and they are rising out of that watery grave to walk in a newness of life that doesn't mean that the baptismal waters regenerate us. However, it does mean that we are professing to follow him and to mortify the lust of our flesh from the moment that we come out of that baptismal pool. Who is it that is to administer the ordinance of baptism? Well, the only ones that we find administering it in the Bible were ministers, were preachers. In fact, the very command to go into the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to command them to observe all things whatsoever God has commanded us, that's the Great Commission. You'll notice that is given not to the 120 disciples that were gathered together on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't given to the 500 brethren who saw Jesus at once that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15, but it was given to the 11. When Jesus said to go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Jesus said that according to Matthew twenty-eight sixteen to the 11 disciples, the preachers, as he called them away alone into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. So ministerial authority is given to the gospel preachers by Jesus himself, and we feel very strongly about this. Our forefathers felt very strongly about this, and people of other denominations felt equally as strong about this subject as we do. Now, that's going to come as a surprise to many people, perhaps, in our listening audience today, but historically, the Baptists, and really Christians in general, had a very high view of the ordinances and believe very strictly in ministerial authority. That was more of the majority view in times past than it is today. We have the opposite view across America in today's time, but that is not the historic approach to the ordinances or the role of the minister in his administration of them. And I just remind you that back in the 1800s, back in the 1700s, this was a basic Baptist tenet. This is what Baptists believed. He had great uniformity on this issue. In fact, more persecution befell Baptists over the subject of baptism than what they preached in their pulpit regarding salvation. Baptism was the number one cause of persecution of Baptists at certain periods of church history. Baptists were openly and hostily persecuted in this country prior to religious liberty. This is kind of a Baptist thing. 
So if you're surprised by that, never be surprised when a Baptist is a Baptist. And I would say the same thing about any order of faith. Never be surprised if someone is a Roman Catholic and they're informed as to what Roman Catholics believe, they're convinced of that, and then they believe what their organization teaches. I'm not surprised when a Catholic is a Catholic. I'm not surprised when a Methodist is a Methodist. No one should be surprised when a Baptist is a Baptist. But Christians, in general, through church history, had a much higher view of the ordinances than that of the average American Christian today. Now, what do I mean by that, the higher view of the ordinances? Well, we mean that they, along with us today, rejected this sort of vigilantism that is widely accepted today, which asserts that anyone and everyone who is out there naming the name of Christ has a right to preach the gospel, to pastor a church, and administer the ordinances, and in general is someone that we should be listening to. Now, I don't say this to be offensive, but Americans today love their celebrities. They love their bloggers. They love their podcasters, their Facebook group administrators, and they will give these folks such a platform, a position of power in their lives, that folks are more inclined to listen to them than the man who stands in the pulpit each and every week in front of them, trying to share the Word of God with them as God has called him to do. Now, this sort of human nature, this sort of part of us as sinful fallen creatures is no surprise. In the Apostle Paul's day, one of the things that he criticizes the Christians in the church at Corinth for is that they were divided over which preacher they preferred. Some said, I'm of Paul. Others said, I'm of Apollos. Some said, I'm of Cephas. And some said, I'm of Jesus. We tend to faction into followers of certain people. We are to be followers of Christ, and Christ, as we will see in a moment, gives each congregation a minister who is to follow him and obey him through the Holy Spirit, and that is the person who is to be leading congregations, not a celebrity preacher from another state, not a big boss preacher from various denominations who calls around and stays on the phone trying to tell other folks what to do. God gave you your pastor, and that's the person that God has provided for you to be fed by and edified by, corrected by if need be, God gave you a pastor. In our day, people tend to default to personalities they access through various forms of media over this resource that God gave the local pastor. We call the people that influence others through social media influencers. And that's a social, societal, sociological title or label that's been given to people who publish content, whether it be videos or reels or blog entries or articles, and they influence people who are watching them. And they may already be celebrities. Celebrities use their status, Hollywood celebrities, I mean, to try to influence people. They will dictate their own form of morality to others. They will try to lead social movements and social change. They'll try to urge you to vote for certain people. Or influencers may go viral and become celebrity influencers through the content that they produce. And a lot of the time, the celebrity status is generated because of political opinions that these influencers express. 
But did you know that God gave specific people on this planet for the building up of the body of Christ? Ephesians chapter 4 says that Christ has led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Think about how significant this is if the giving of the gifts to men, the giving of the ability to preach unto men, is a result of Christ leading captivity captive. That places a very high view on the preaching of the gospel. As the Old Testament says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach this gospel to God's people. Now, specifically in Ephesians chapter 4, Christ in verse 8 has ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. He gave gifts unto men. Skipping over the parenthetical statement in verses 9 and 10, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so to influence us, to teach us, to edify us, to build us up unto unity, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, these people edify us, that we might grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So the purpose of God giving these gifts is so his people would be edified, that they would be built up, that they would, through hearing truth, be unified around the truth, and that they would be delivered from being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight, the trickery of men. Now, specifically, if you notice, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. At present, there are no living apostles. There are no living apostles today. Now, people claim to be apostles, but they're not, because apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus, and they have special powers. Peter could heal the sick and raise the dead. They could speak in languages, miraculously so, that they had never learned. They could preach the gospel to people with languages they hadn't learned. That's a miracle. These men had great power, but they all died. And as they died, that office and its purpose in the world came to an end. And based upon all evidence that I've seen in light of the work of the prophets in the Bible, and the specificity and accuracy of their prediction, we have no prophets today either. After all, to give prophecy is to give the word of the Lord, and his word is a completed canon. That is to say, the Bible is a completed canon. It is the record of God's word that he gave us through the mouths of the prophets. And so we don't have apostles, and we don't have prophets, but we do yet have men who are to do the work of an evangelist, and men who are to pastor, to shepherd God's churches, and teach them the Word. Now, I've used the word men several times, and I know that this is a hot-button topic at present. It is an offensive issue for some people, but the Word of God is very clear that only males are to be ordained to preach the gospel. If that offended you, I make no apologies for what the Word of God said. I'm sorry that it offended you, but I'm not sorry that I said it, because... It's just what the Word of God said. Paul says he suffers not a woman to teach. And in looking at the qualifications of a minister, he has to be the husband of one wife. At the same time, biblically, not all men can be pastors. In fact, a small minority of men in the world are called of God to preach. And then, as we will see in a moment, even after the call, he has to qualify himself. 
And so if you think we're being harsh that they're only male, please understand we are far more harsh than you believe or that you might recognize. Not all men can even preach the gospel. Not all men would be allowed in the pulpits of our churches. And that's simply the biblical position to take. We have men who are to do the work of an evangelist and men who are to pastor or shepherd God's churches and teach them the word of God. So God didn't give us celebrity influencers. God didn't give us viral bloggers. No offense to radio hosts such as myself, but God didn't establish a radio station. He built a church, and in that church he gave preachers. That's not to say that preachers can't utilize these forms of communication. Obviously, I'm talking to you today on the radio as a gospel preacher. But God gave preachers, preachers specifically to each of us, the local pastor under whose preaching we can sit under. Now, I never mind getting emails with Bible questions from radio listeners, and I appreciate every single contact that I get from my listeners. But sometimes when I'm asked a specific question by a person that I know is attending a church with a good sound pastor, I immediately ask what his pastor said about the question. Sometimes he hasn't asked, or she hasn't asked her pastor. Sometimes I don't have a pastor. But if that person has a good, godly, humble pastor, I'm going to recommend they talk to their pastor about it instead of me, who might live states away, who's not directly connected with them as a person that I minister to. God gave pastors in local flocks to serve the people in those local assemblies. In other words, that is a gentle nudge for you, dear listener, to always go to your pastor with your questions. He's a specific person that God gave you personally to help you when you need to know something from the Word of God. Are they infallible? No. Are they always right? No. Do they always know what they're doing? Heavens no. In fact, half of the time when I'm trying to help somebody, my greatest fear is telling them something wrong and making matters worse. And I recently heard a dear friend in the ministry say the same thing, and I'm thinking, I am sure we all feel that way as gospel ministers. We feel to be so inferior. We feel to be so inadequate. But this is what God has given us in His church. He's given us the gospel ministry. He gave gifts unto men. Now let's consider the specific wording of these articles. First of all, no minister has a right to administer the ordinances except we're going to first consider God calling men to preach. So no one has the right to administer the ordinances except, and then you find they've been baptized, they've been called, they've been ordained, and they're in fellowship with the church that they are a member of. Because after all, there's no higher ecclesiastical organization on the planet than the local church. We are not vigilantes. We are not renegades but we are under the authority of the New Testament churches to which we belong. That's the way that Jesus established his church. Ask this short question to yourself. Who can preach? The answer to that question is always men who are called of God, and as you might have noticed from the article, as was Aaron. The invoking of Aaron in that article of faith is something that historic Baptist statements of faith did to make a great point. In the Old Testament, the priesthood was a specific tribe, the Levites. Aaron is selected by God, and then he is anointed as a priest. His sons carry on his work after his death. To be clear, there is not a pastorly tribe in the church. 
though sometimes God will call multiple men from the same family to preach, such as my family. My father and my only brother are also pastors, ministers of the gospel. But there isn't a pastorly tribe. This calling and this anointing, however, is very much a reality. God calls men to preach. Now, how do I know if I have been called to preach? Well, here are two questions for you to answer. Number one, do I want to preach the gospel? If the answer is yes, then you might have been called to preach. And number two, do you actually preach the gospel when you try to preach the gospel? If you want to preach, and it's very manifest that you do preach when you make an effort, then it's likely that you have been called to preach the gospel. As the Proverbs say, a man's gift maketh room for him. And while that statement, a man's gift makes room for him, likely has to do with the giving of a gift to influence someone of importance, we often use that phrase with regards to a man's gift manifesting itself in a real and obvious way to his hearers. Preaching has often been compared to a fire in the bones or wine put up in bottles that was ready to burst. This means that it's something that is ablaze inside of you and you cannot extinguish it. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, "'Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel.'" The desire, the burden to preach is indicative of a call to preach, and then when given the opportunity, if a man does preach, that's a great indication that this person has been indeed called to the ministry, and he is to begin exercising in the context of his local church. He is to be trained by his mentor, his father in the ministry. He is to engage in his ministry, and when the time is right, the church is to ordain him. That's the biblical method of raising up ministers. So let's summarize what we just shared with you. The preaching of the gospel is something special. With the ability to do so, being a gift that God gives men whom he calls to this work. Now beyond this calling, a man must also qualify himself with his behavior. This is where all real preachers will feel the sting of remorse in their heart because we see our own sinfulness. If a man is honest with himself, he sees his own sinfulness. Unless we be Pharisees, we know how fallen we are. We know how we fail. We know that we squander certain of our time. We know that we don't always make full proof of our ministry, as the Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy. We know that we blow opportunities. We know we have the same sin in our flesh that everyone else does too, and we fail day in and day out. We feel remorse when we consider the qualifications of the ministry. But according to Paul, a bishop must be blameless. Where might we find this? Well, we find it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, ruling his own house well. And also not a novice, one who is new to the faith, because he could very well fall to pride. That's the qualifications of the ministry summarized from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And it could be a sermon series in and of itself to unpack each and every one of those qualifications. And all the gospel ministers in the listening audience who hear these words, if they're honest with themselves, would be convicted. 
because we're all sinners. None of us have this perfectly figured out. None of us behave perfectly all the time. But this is, but these are, according to the Bible, the qualifications of the gospel ministry. These passages exist, and a called man can disqualify himself with bad behavior. That's why we all have to bring our own bodies under subjection, lest we also become castaways, to quote the Apostle Paul. Moving on, there is a difference in preaching and exhortation, or preaching versus teaching other people truth in general, in a general sense, as is our duty, each and every one of us. Maybe a good word for this would be mentoring or discipleship. The old men are to teach the young men. The old women are to teach the young women. And I know many good godly saints who can issue a sort of edifying thought in God's house in a church service, either before the message or after the message. But this is distinct from preaching, and all of this is needed and a blessing to the church, the body of Christ. What we're talking about today is preaching. That is something very specific scripturally. So the minister must be called of God. The minister must have been baptized regularly. That doesn't mean often. It meant according to the regulations of God's Word, in the regular way, according to the regulative principle. That's what we refer to our style of worship, the regulative principle of worship. We do what God's Word commands, what God's Word depicts, and that which is a good and necessary consequence of that which is commanded and that which is depicted. If you notice from the statement from Ebenezer, he also must be in good standing with his home church. This prohibits a vigilante or renegade preacher, and it also alludes to all ministerial work being done under the umbrella of the local church. That's not to say all parachurch groups are unbiblical, but at the same time, a parachurch organization should never take from the church what is clearly something that belongs to her according to the scriptures. The ordinances are to be performed in a church capacity. The ordination of new ministers is to be performed in a church capacity, as is church planting. In fact, for literal centuries, all evangelistic work was performed as the ministry of the church went and preached. Today, and I say this with all due respect, pastors often sit in comfortable offices while lay people go and serve as missionaries And I know that's offensive and contrary to the norm in America today to say this, but look in the Bible. Who went and preached? The preachers. Even pastors like Timothy were told to go and to do the work of an evangelist. Today, being a pastor often mirrors that of a chairman of the board or a CEO rather than a spreader of the gospel. Folks are quick to defend the modern way of doing things, but I just ask you, and this is an open-ended question, Is the church or the culture around the church better off now, or was it better off in times past? I'll leave that one for you to ponder. So the minister must be called to preach. He must have been properly baptized. He must be in fellowship with his home church. But notice this last phrase. He must have come under the imposition of the hands of a presbytery. Presbytery is the plural form of the Greek word for elder. That's the title of a gospel preacher in the Bible, an elder or a bishop. So to ordain someone, a group of already ordained elders is to assemble and lay hands on the person who is to be ordained to this gospel ministry. We see this literally throughout the book of Acts. When the seven began their ministry in the book of Acts, they laid hands on them. When Paul began his ministry, they laid hands on him. Paul references laying hands on Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6 
And when Paul told Titus that he left him in Crete to set in order things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city, that's what he had reference to. 1 Timothy 4.14 explicitly refers to this practice, the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. To administer the ordinances, one must be ordained. They must come under the imposition of the hands of a presbytery. This is the pattern of Scripture. I would encourage you to get under the teaching of a sound, faithful gospel minister. And if you find one, I hope that you appreciate him for Christ's sake, for the work in the gospel that he is engaged in. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write, let me know that you've received today's broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.